Okay, greetings everyone. This is Jamal Ali with the Africa Diaspora Going Home Show. I have with me today a special guest all the way from Ghana, West Africa, Daniel Boydu. I hope I pronounced yes, sir. correctly. <laughs> yep, you got it. Right. All right. Welcome, my dear brother. For those of you who don't know, Daniel is a popular YouTuber, and that's where I actually uh, met him at. And uh, I love the content of his video, so I decided that I have him on my show, and here he is. So I wanted to bring him to you all to give some insight on what's happening in the Gambia, what's happening in Ghana. Uh, he has some expertise and experience in both places. So with that, I want to ask you, um, I do see you doing some uh, comparisons between Ghana and Gambia. So why those two countries? Why not Ghana and Senegal or Ghana and anywhere else? Why, why Gambia? Well, uh, simply because I've been, um, you know, talking to people about moving to Africa for the past four years, right? Okay. Even before the whole movement about let's go back to Africa became more popular. I was doing it a long time ago, but on Facebook and I wasn't on YouTube because I didn't really see the future of YouTube. Okay. Um, I just started YouTube a year ago. So I've always been doing it. And at that time, it was the interest was more about Ghana alone. People were more interested about Ghana. So I was more focused on Ghana and Ghana. But mm -hmm. recently, I just realized, oh, hold on, people are really interested in Gambia, you know, yeah. so that really drew my attention to go look into Gambia myself, because even though I knew Gambia, I didn't know much about Gambia. So mm -hmm. I decided to do more research about Gambia. And I realized, oh, wow, it's an amazing country. And yes. the cost of living was really cheap when you yes. compare it to Ghana. Mm -hmm. You know, so when I started YouTube, people were um, talking about Gambia more under the comment. Can you talk about Gambia? Can you talk about Gambia? So I'm like, okay, hold on, hold on. Why Gambia? You see what I'm saying? So that really pushed me to, you know, look into Gambia. And the reason why I did a comparison was not to belittle one country or the other. The main purpose was to give people an idea about you know what you can get in both countries and you know at the end of the day they have their you know own decision or their own freedom to choose where mm -hmm. to go you know so it's, it was just a video i didn't even think it will it will you know blow up because i was just you know trying to help people know okay in ghana this is you know the health uh, sector or how big it is compared to gambia or, yes. you know, this is how the real estate market, just a normal comparison to help people make a decision. Yes. There wasn't anything about belittling uh, the other country. Okay. Well, I, I certainly didn't, didn't take it as that. Uh, just watching, it was very informative. Uh, and I love the comparison. When I first uh, started looking to go to Africa as well, Ghana was my first choice. But as I continued to do some research and look at more videos and more videos and more videos, I came across the Gambia. And like you, I was like, wow, this, this country is amazing. So the more research I did, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of liking this. <laughs> you know, and yeah. so I'm finding, I'm finding that a lot of people are, are having that same kind of experience. Now, you are born and raised in Ghana, though, right? Right. Okay. So tell me what it was like growing up in Ghana. Wow, that's a that's a that's a long story. But um, you know, it, it all depends on you know the family you were born into. 
Yes. And so, you know, for me personally, I was born into, um, you know, a family who was in the village side of Ghana, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, we, we grew up in a community where it was all about farming, you know, growing agriculture and all that stuff. So, you know, money wasn't uh, really in the house, you know, we didn't really have money, you okay. know, we were, you know, the type of average village people, mm -hmm. you know, and I think in 2000 and I think 2006, my dad lost his eyesight. So mm -hmm. we had to move from the village to come stay with his mom in the city, which is Accra, or, you know, because he wanted to see some doctors and yeah. all that stuff. So I came eight years old with my dad because in Ghana we don't have, you know how in the US the blind people can walk by themselves. In mm -hmm. Ghana we don't have that structure system where they can do it. So, you know, you need somebody to actually help you navigate if you are if you're blind. So mm -hmm. I had to go with my dad, eight years old, um, no schooling. I went to the city, lived with my grandma, you know, and just hustling, you know, getting things done. Mm -hmm. you know, until I was able to go to school and, you know, so it's a long story. If I want to talk about it from <laughs> detail point, it would take a very long time. But uh, in a short form, it wasn't easy. You know, we had to really struggle to, you know, to get things done. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, that has really been something that has shaped me into who I am today. And I will never go back and say, oh, you know what, well, I regret this you know, situation in the past. No, mm -hmm. I always love what happened because it has really made who I am today. So I, I always appreciate, you know, how I was raised because mm -hmm. that was my destiny, right? But that's then, right. you know, at the end of the day, that's something I cannot change, the family I was born into. But me becoming who I want to become is something I have the freedom to decide, you know, so, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. So. Oftentimes, it's apparent that what happened to your dad just changed his life completely, but it also affected the rest of the family as well, right? And so sometimes yeah. we, don't, we don't look at that part of it, but yet everybody's affected. So I would imagine at eight years old, uh, when it initially happened and you felt that you seen that there was going to be a responsibility of yours to, to you know, hang out with your dad, take care of your dad and assist him. What, what went through your mind as an eight-year-old? Um, you know, at eight years old, I wasn't really thinking too much. Um, mm -hmm. I was just, you know, being a child, you know, providing services for what my dad needed at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was 12 years old, that's when I first went to school, you mm -hmm. know, because, it, it, you know, yes, that's when I first went to kindergarten to be able to read and write. And um, I was selling. I go to school. And I was still selling with my mom on the street. I don't know if you ever been to any African country or you seen the videos. But, you know, as little kids, we were taught how to, you know, sell. So even without school, we understood profit and loss, you know. Yes. So yes. I was selling with my mom. You know, after we sell, I go to school. So it was kind of really difficult. I didn't really get, like, you know, how childhood, you know, kids play with kids and all that stuff. I mm -hmm. never had that. I was always with my parents to get things done, you know, until mm -hmm. I grew up. Okay, okay. Well, Daniel, let me tell you, man, I have to take my hat off to you uh, for sharing that experience, man, because I know some, some guys and girls that I went to kindergarten with 
when we were four or five that don't speak as well as you do. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. So that's incredible, man, to, to actually go to school for the first time at 12 years old. This is, uh, this is amazing. And it's, it's a challenge that many people in all parts of the world experience similar challenges, things of this nature. But it just goes to show when you're determined to do a thing, you can do it. Right. I, I take my hat off for you. And, and one thing I also wanted to chip in is, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll say I, I always give credit, most of the credit to my mom. Yes. Because um, she made the decision, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, putting us through school because at that time, she was the breadwinner. She didn't leave my dad, you see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? She mm -hmm. stayed and she made a decision to put us through school because she never completed school. She never, you know, got that type of uh, good education. Mm -hmm. So she saw the value of education and said, hey, you know what? You know, I will work as much as I can and put you guys through school. So my mom started her first business with just a dollar okay. in 2009. You know, she buy a uh, fish in Ghana and then she resell it for profit. And mm -hmm. that's what she did to put us through school to high school. So, wow. I mean, she, she made that decision. And, mm -hmm. and I think that has really affected, you know, our well-being today. Yes, yes. So, so now you mentioned that you had a younger brother who was actually in college uh, studying programming or? or what's no, he, he's currently done. Um, okay. He went to a technical school. So... He studies more about electrical stuff. Um, it, it's more pertaining to uh, something like electrician. That's mm -hmm. what he's studying. But he's he's currently done with um, high high school. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So now the the transition from the village to Accra. Now you're in the big metropolis. What was that like? I mean, if you are in the village right now in Ghana. If you are in, in the village, everybody's dream is to be in a city, right. you know, because, we, you know, we see the beautiful houses and the road and all that stuff. So right. coming to the city, I was really happy, you know, but then when I came to the city, I realized my grandma was not really living like, you know, the, the city portrays it to be. She mm -hmm. was also struggling as well. So. I mean, we came to join the struggle and, you know, it wasn't really fun. But at the end of the day, I think the city really helped me because it took me away from um, a lot of uh, things that, that I was liking or a lot of things that the village, the villages were liking. Mm -hmm. And that really shaped me well. But I was really happy to um, come to the city, you know. Okay. Yeah. So you got a chance to see see the see the both of the best of both worlds. Now, in 2019, your president introduced this movement of the re return, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the year of return. And from all that I've read and heard, uh, it was a great success. And hats off for him for having that type of vision and doing that as as well. Being a citizen there, have you seen the effects of that? Or are you meeting more and more Americans? Or how, how, how's it playing out in, in your mind? Okay, so, I mean, to me personally, I have always been connected with, um, you know, the African diaspora long before the year of return even became a thing. So, mm -hmm. and um, 
we've, we've had past African leaders from Ghana, Kwame Nkrumah was also preaching the same message long before. But the whole big change was he announcing that year of return. It was a very big initiative. And one, for me as a citizen, it's, it's beneficial for every country to have investors, you know, people who come in, you know, into the country to build businesses and industries. That's the only way a country can thrive when it comes to economy-wise. So when you pay attention to the U.S., that's why they have a lot of programs where, you know, they have visa lotteries, they have, you know, different companies come in. They need the workforce. They need, you know, different investors to come in and build the economy. So when you focus on what he said about the year of return, it can come from two, two angles. It can come from being, he being a Pan-African because when you pay attention, um, all the other African leaders did not, you know, make that happen, but he did it. So mm-hmm. first of all, it can come from a place of he being a Pan-African. And then secondly, you know, he understood it will benefit both, you know, parties in this situation. The African diaspora will benefit and then the Ghanaian citizens will also benefit. Right. It's a beautiful story. It's, it's a beautiful marriage. Now, um, you also have a travel business. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Right. Tell, tell us about that. Like I said before, um, when I started the movement on Facebook, initially it was um, I was selling African products, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from the transition, I realized people were more interested, not just in the product, but they were also interested in learning more about the traditions and the culture in Ghana. Mm-hmm. So I formed a group, you know, called, at that time it was Back to Ghana. That was the name of the group. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people were actually joining and I was educating them more about certain things in Ghana, the language, culture. It was something I used to do. So the group started growing and I had one lady from Chicago as a travel agent. And she said, hey, I see there's a lot of people who are interested in Ghana. I'm a travel agent, and then I would like to work with you so we can have a trip to Ghana for the group. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, sure, that's fine. That sounds like a great idea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's what I'm talking about, the partnership from both sides always yes. makes it work. You mm-hmm. know, so we, we, we facilitated our first trip, and that was in, I think, 2017. Okay. And that was 20 people who came for the first time. And it was fun. We had a good time. But then, you know, I had some, you know, monetary issues with her, you know, and we had to walk away. But after we walked away, that's when I decided to, you know, do it on my own. And I wanted it to be more than just taking people to like tourist attractions, Mm -hmm. because I realized what most tour companies do or travel companies do is, they try to escape the difficult part of the experience, which is they try to take people to just Cape Coast, Accra, and Kumasi, which mm-hmm. is easy to do because, you know, it's, it's so close in distance. And I realized people need to see more of Ghana other than Cape Coast, Accra, and Kumasi. And mm-hmm. if they can see the, the villages, the part of Ghana that hasn't really been touched by, you know, Western culture and development, they can see how it was. Mm-hmm. you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago. People would love to see that. So I decided to take them to the northern part. It's far, the journey is long, but I realized people really enjoy seeing those part of Ghana as well. So now 
that really brought about the whole travel company and the movement. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. And you know, people appreciate those types of things because that's a, that's something they're never going to see on TV or in a brochure or any of that, right? So yeah. that, that becomes priceless. So tell me, what's the what's the best thing you you, you like about Ghana? Well, one thing I I always say is the freedom that comes with living in any African country, not just Ghana. Uh, maybe I haven't been to certain African countries, but um, Ghana, I'll say, you know, one of the amazing thing about Ghana is the freedom that comes with living in the country. You know, mm -hmm. there's so much freedom. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. What's the What's the worst thing you like? You don't like about Ghana? Wow. Okay. The worst thing is um, our leaders not really, you know, having our best interests. That's the That's the only thing I hate because mm -hmm. there's so much our leaders can do for us, but they chose not to do it, mm -hmm. you know, and you can just, you know, physically see they are choosing not to do it, you okay. know? So if we can just bypass, you know, that corrupt system within our leaders, then I'll just say Africa will be the best place to ever live. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and it seems that um, in a lot of the countries where, they're having problems that seems to be the theme the leaders leaders are just not doing what they're supposed to be doing would you would you agree with that 100 percent. because when you go to ghana right now when you go to ghana right now because i like to talk about when i'm when i'm saying something i like to back it with data and information so when you go to ghana right now if you check the system you know all the major infrastructures when it comes to road hospitals you know, our, our electricity, source of electricity and everything was built by Kwame Nkrumah. That was almost 100 years ago, you know. So from 100 years ago, if you check all the leaders that came, they haven't contributed any major uh, development into the country. We're still benefiting from what Kwame Nkrumah did 100 years ago. Are you Just imagine that. Yes. So we're still benefiting from what he did 100 years ago. You know, all the leaders that have come and passed never contributed to anything major unless this current government who just brought uh, free high school education. That's something I would say. But even with that, Kwame Nkrumah already listed free high school education in the Constitution. No president actually came and passed the bill. He just passed the bill. So even when you pay attention to that, it's still credit to Kwame Nkrumah because he made it possible in the constitution. Wow, wow. Well, you know, I've, I read a lot about him and you can't help but have respect for him, but just hearing that from you, my respect level just went up four or five more notches because it's clear that he was the real deal. He was, he was um, a true Pan-African. And, um, you know, he, his main purpose was to, um, you know, make Africa one country, you know, and, you know, with different states instead of one continent with different countries. Mm -hmm. And that's why he married from Egypt so he can build connection, yes. you know, in Egypt. So, and he was a prime minister in another African country. I just forgot the name. So mm -hmm. he wasn't just serving Ghana alone. He was just trying to, you know, create this force of, building all the African leaders into one 
continent or you know i mean one country with different state and the british you know just took him off you know and they used our own people to do it well that's typically how it's done always whether it's in africa or whether it's here in the united states that's the way it's done uh, whether it's in the, yeah. anywhere it's, that's, that's that's the way it's done now i'm a part of a group on facebook who's it's called invest relocate africa and majority of the people in that group are interested in the gambia and so um one of the reasons why i'm more uh, uh inspired to go to Gambia as well is because of the cost. So I did a cost comparison with Gambia and, and some of the other countries, and it's clearly uh, heads and shoulders above the rest in terms of the affordability that it's gonna allow people like myself coming from the diaspora um, and still be in a quality situation, right? Um, so can, can you speak to that? Yes. Um... I think that Gambia is really small, um, two million population. Um, that makes the country the smallest in Africa. And when you check about their GDP, their economy, it's really affordable to live there. I think I think their exchange rate is around a dollar to like fifteen dollarsi. So mm -hmm. you know, you get more of the dollar in Gambia. And I think yes, I mean everybody will get in tune to that place because of that cost of living um the only difference between ghana and gambia is you know there are certain social amenities and benefit in ghana you will not get in gambia but if you are the type who you know you fit you strong you don't you don't need special treatment or you know and you can just i think gambia is the best place you know to be because of the cost of living but ghana also have a lot of places that are really affordable as well and I think most people talk about the cities in Ghana and they forget about, you know, there's so many, because in Gambia, there are certain places too that really cost, you know, really high if you choose yeah. to leave. So I think it doesn't really matter the African country. It's all about where you choose to live in that African country. Because if you have a, a champagne taste and you have a beer a budget, it doesn't work, you know, so you have to leave based on your budget. So you know right. I'm saying so mm -hmm. if you live in Ghana, you can choose to live in Cape Coast, the Western uh, part, those are cheap places. Uh, and if you are in Gambia too, you have to make sure you know, you know, where it's really affordable to live. So it's all about, you know, what you intend to do and your budget that will really make life comfortable for you, no matter where you live in Africa. It makes sense. It makes sense. Now, if, if money wasn't an issue, what would be the place you would live in Ghana? Or maybe you, you live in there now, I don't know, but what's, what's your favorite place in Ghana to, to, to live and raise a family and all that? If money wasn't the issue, I still live in Accra. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, simply because uh, maybe I'm not more used to the, the, the countryside anymore. Um, so maybe the city will be more uh, fun for me to live because I can get access to a lot of stuff easily. So if money wasn't the issue, I still live in Accra. Okay. Okay. Now I see that Africa in general is a little different from America as it relates to housing. So I've, I've seen that 
in a lot of places you can pay, you pay your rent by the year, right? Um, which is great on one hand, but on the other hand, if you don't have a year's worth of rent, that's, that makes it kind of tough, right? Um, right. But I also seen you did a comparison um, in terms of buying a, a buying a house that's already built and buying a house, uh, building it from from scratch, as you say, right? Yeah. But one of the things that you shared in there with me that blew my mind was that the the if if you're building a house from scratch and you have to finance it, um, or even just buying one period, but the interest rates that you you quoted or said was you know 35, 40%. I was like, what? Yep. Absolutely uh, madness. Now here in America, we go nuts if it's if it's ten percent, right? <laughs> I know the average average interest rate is like three percent in the U.S. Yes, now nowadays there there was a point where it was certainly higher, but um, yeah, if you got good credit, everything's driven by credit. If you got good credit, yeah, you can get anyone for you know three four percent, right? And so, if that's madness in the sense that if the well, here's the question I wanted to ask you in reference to that. Who's who are the lenders driving this kind of interest rate? Are they Africans? Or are they colonizers? Okay, so that's that's a good question. Now, in one way, I agree with them um, for that interest rate, um, simply because our system is built in a way where we still don't have a one mechanism of cash flow or how to monitor how much people make right mm -hmm. so it's very difficult to really trust somebody with maybe hundred thousand dollars and say hey i'll give it to you and pay it back you see mm -hmm. what i'm saying so mm -hmm. the probability of them not paying it back is really high so okay. with that if they're taking such a risk they have to make sure you know they, they're making enough on it to to really yes. take that risk you know yeah. so um, the Ghana Home Loans is is a is a Ghanaian institution that give loans, you know, or you know, to the citizen to finance um, project or you know any real estate businesses and whatever. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they have other banks which are foreign owned that will also finance for you. But like I said, those interest rates are based on certain criteria. Like you know, they can check um, have you ever paid off a loan before. Because in Ghana, we don't have a credit system. If mm -hmm. you are from the diaspora, then they can check your you know, credit in the US as mm -hmm. well and check your income and make sure you have a reliable job as well. So it all based on you know, what you qualify for. If you don't have much history about you paying up debt and other stuff, then they'll make sure the interest rate is really high because they're taking a big risk. And yeah, and that's and that's what it's all about. Uh, as far as credit, uh, is risk, and so that that makes sense that that you explained it like that. So, so what I see then is and one thing too is they don't get a lot of people to to show up to say I want to finance a home. It's only a few people, you know, uh, about two to three percent of the population. So with that, just imagine in the U.S., I think um, the home ownership industry is really huge where they get people walking into banks asking for loans but in ghana they barely see somebody walking and say i need 200k to right. finance this project so with that you know just check the difference if, if it would take four to five years to get about 
six to 10 people to walk in your bank and say, hey, I need a loan to finance. And mm -hmm. about only four to six will qualify for it. Then you have to raise the interest rate so you don't look like you're wasting your time. Okay, I see. There's, there's so it's a, it's a whole, it's a totally different set of dynamics that's that's driving that versus somebody just greedy as heck. You know, that's what I'm right, saying. Like, right, right. You know, uh, that 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 makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I was watching another YouTube video where uh, one of the viewers were saying that. In Ghana in particular, the real estate market seems to be driven by uh, people who are building for, um, for foreign demand, so to speak. So, so in other words, somebody uh, is born and raised in Ghana, uh, but they moved to, to Britain or they move to Canada, or they move to the United States, when they come back home, they build based on specifications in those particular countries instead of building for the Ghanaian, right? And so she was saying that a lot of Ghanaians are left out of the mix because they're catering to a market and they're kind of leaving the, the everyday working people behind. Would you, how, what would you think about that? Yeah, the, anyone who says that is really right, um, the, the real estate market is not in Ghana is not really highly regulated. So, you know, they can just go ahead and build for any consumers they want. And in Ghana, when you pay attention, that's, that's they, they, their main target is, you know, Africans living abroad or just, you know, customers living outside Ghana, you know, mm -hmm. so when they build, they build not for the local people. That's why you can see, those prices, 300K, 400K, 500K, you know, the average Ghanaian cannot afford that. You see right. what I'm saying? So they build for people who can, you know, uh, uh, afford it and they live outside the country. Because I don't think anyone in Ghana can afford, uh, who work and live in Ghana can afford 300K house. It's not possible. So they leave that affordable house inside, you know, of Ghana you know, still not touched, you know. So I think it's a big opportunity for anybody who maybe might be thinking about the local Ghanaian who makes about maybe uh, um, $300 a month or mm -hmm. makes like $400 a month. If they can provide, right. you know, housing for that mm -hmm. kind of demographic, mm -hmm. they will make a lot of money doing so because, you know, it will look amazing for them. Okay, perfect. So let me ask you then, with, with that, when you, when you use those particular numbers you just mentioned, what would you say the average monthly income for the average Ghanaian is? About $400. Okay, that's, so that's average. A month? Uh -huh. Yeah, a month, okay. uh, $300 to $400. Some people even take less than that, simply because, like I said, there's less jobs in the country um and also our economy is really not strong mm -hmm. and when when that happened there's a lot of people who don't have a special skill as well you mm -hmm. know in, in certain areas so you know most most business owners choose what to pay you you know we don't have a a, a regulatory body that says hey the minimum wage should be should be this you okay. see what i'm saying so when that happens business owners take advantages of you know their employees by deciding how much they want to pay them. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. um, that's the main reason why. And also, if you compare the cost of living 
in the U.S. to Ghana, it's, it's a big difference. So somebody making $300 a month in Ghana is a lot to live on it. You know, if, especially if they live outside the city, that's a lot of money for them, you know. Okay. But if they live in the middle of the city, it's kind of like still small. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a lot, but, you know, if you can still provide affordable housing for that group of people, they can pay. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. So I want my uh, listening audience out there to, to really take this in. I mean, I know some people would probably spend three or $400 a month just eating out. Just eating out at restaurants. Mm-hmm. They have the money and they have the lifestyle, and that's what they do, right? Right. They, they eat out for lunch, they eat out for dinner, you know, $15, $20 a while, you know, times mm-hmm. 30 days, right? And so, as terrible as America is in a lot of ways, there's a lot of uh, things to, to really appreciate here as well. Yeah. And so, I, I just wanted to put that out there. Um, as it relates to Gambia, I think I read where the average yearly income there is about a thousand. There's many people living there on a thousand twelve hundred dollars a year. Yeah. And I was like, wow. So I see that as for us in the diaspora, you can look at it one of two ways. And I choose to look at it this particular way. It's opportunity to go in and serve, opportunity to go in and create a different model to show the the people in those particular areas that there's another way to do things. And here here is the way. So I was just listening to Sister Arakana a little earlier today in terms of what the Africans in the diaspora have to offer Africa. And I think a lot of what is missed sometimes is just one simple four-letter word is just hope. And so, yes, we have skills, we have money, we have all these things, but I think if we can just come there and position ourselves and offer people hope that there's a better way, there's a different way, and I'm here to help, right? Uh, I think we have to establish that type of relationship with our brothers on, and sisters on the continent. And um, I think that would be a great marriage once, once we can do that. Um, now, we all, oftentimes we hear, which I know is just foolishness as well, but give me your take on this. Uh, man, the, 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 the brothers and sisters in Africa, man, they don't want us coming over there. Man, they don't like us. Is that, is that a myth or is that a reality in your experience? Well, our culture doesn't say so because, um, you know, we were raised, that's how we were raised to, to accept people into, you know, our houses, you know, take care of them, cater for them, you know. But sometimes, like I said, the social media we use these days can project a lot of false information. So um, let's say you, you, you met me online, we had a disagreement, you know, and because of that, you take it as, okay, he didn't agree with what I'm saying, you know, and he said some bad words to me, you know, all, all Ghanaians or all Africans don't like, you know, African diaspora. People, people like to, you know, picture certain things in the wrong way. If you do me bad, you know, I don't project everything on, you know, 
the rest of the 200 million African diasporas. You see what I'm saying? So, yes, there are some bad oranges. But, um, you know, when you go to Ghana or when you go to Gambia, you get to see the experience yourself. People are really welcoming and the hospitality out there is really great simply because our culture is not because we do it because you're from here, but simply because our culture trained us to be that way. Um, and I think that's the main reason why when Europeans came in, they were able to get access to us, learn from you know our cultures and certain mm-hmm. things because we are naturally welcoming. It's something our culture has really instilled in us to stay calm and you know you know just appreciate people who come in to to our home. So I don't think that's a that's that's true when somebody says so. I don't I don't think it's true. There are, there are few people who don't agree, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with you know. The certain things about the African diaspora, but that doesn't affect, you know, the, the billion population out there. Yes, yes, great answer, great answer. Um, so let's let's shift gears for a minute. Let's let's talk about food, man. Um, does Ghana have the best jollof rice? <laughs> to be honest, um, I've only tried Nigerian and Ghana jollof, and I think. It's, it's, it's all about, you know, your taste bud. Um, I don't know if that's the right word. But to me, and who actually prepared the food, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's based on who prepared it. Because I love my mom's jollof than anybody's jollof. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> so <laughs> if you make a jollof for me, yeah, it, it, it would taste good. But I'll always be thinking about my mom can make it better than, than <laughs> you. You see what I'm saying? So, you know, it all depends about on who makes it, just like fufu too. If you mm-hmm. eat Ghanaian fufu um, from from the city or from a restaurant, it, it's different from the fufu your mom actually makes in the house. Yes. You see what yes. I'm saying? So it might be the same food, but you realize there's a different taste. So I, I would not say Ghana makes the, the best or Nigeria makes the best or Senegal, Gambia, but I'll say it all depends on who makes it. Like who actually makes the food. Mm-hmm. Man, you yeah. sound like you sound like a politician with that answer, man. That was that was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now, what's what's your favorite what's your favorite dish? If if you were going out, uh, if you want your mom to cook you something, what would you say, mom? Hook me up. What, what would you want mom to hook you up? Um, it would be. I always like fufu and gosu, um, but um, sometimes it takes a very long process to get it done. So I don't mm-hmm. like stressing my mom to do all this right. stuff. So, you know, I just like banku and okra stew, mm-hmm. and, you know, and fish. It's, mm-hmm. it's really good. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's really good. Now, explain to me what, what fufu is. Um, fufu is actually um, um, based on the, uh, the ethnicity, because in Ghana, the Fantis, right, the Fantis mm-hmm. make their fufu way cassava and um plantains right Uh Uh so you know they boil the cassava or they cook the cassava and the plantains to make it really soft and then they pound it in a mortar with a pistol you Uh know to really make it really soft and catchy you Uh see and then when you go to the northern side of ghana they make their fufu with yams so I'm saying, yes. you know, it's the same process, but they use different ingredients. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And the reason why they use yams is simply because uh, um, cassava doesn't grow 
on their uh-huh. land. Uh-huh. You see what I'm saying? So they used what they had. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I grew on the northern part of Ghana more. So I like more of the young fufu compared to the plant plantains and um, cassava fufu. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now I've I've actually seen some YouTube videos where they, where they actually pounding it, and I said to myself, "Wow, that would be that would be something great to invent uh, is a machine that would would do that versus having a." a, a, a yeah. Now, now let me correct that myself. side. And then again, I said, me, "You know let what? Me, let <laughs> that, me correct that side." <laughs> Go ahead. It's it's only advisable we use machine. Uh-huh. Right now, we have fufu machines in Ghana, but it's only advisable to use machine because of how busy our system is becoming because we don't have enough time. But when you check the health-wise, our forefathers were wise enough to use the wood simply because the wood they use for pounding is medicinal. So all the things that go into the food is still a medicine for you. So they use trees which are really medicinal that when you consume, it helps the body, makes you strong and other stuff. So you're not just pounding the fufu. And pounding the fufu is also a form of exercise for you at the end of the day. So you benefit through the whole process as a human being cooking as well. But now because of the how fast paced our, our whole system is, you know, people don't, some people don't have enough time to spend like two hours doing the cooking. So, you know, just for a fast pace, let's use the machine. And the machine can have a side effect because of, you know, the little metals that can, you know, gradually break into the food and, you know, it can lead to so many health issues. So, you know, we can look at it from both ways, you know, either you want to stay healthy and just go by the, the traditional way of doing it, or you just one the fast pace well you know when, when i looked at that uh that did cross my mind the, the medicinal part of it didn't cross my mind i had no idea of that man that's that's great now that you uh you mentioned that and so from that standpoint yeah you certainly want to want to keep doing it that particular way but I even did, with I even mean, with brushing our teeth uh-huh. let me give an example even brushing brushing our teeth our forefathers were using what we call chewing sticks Miss Wack. Yes, chewing mm-hmm. sticks. Mm-hmm. They had trees that were really medicinal, and they break them into little sticks, mm-hmm. and they chew it. it be, the edges become like a brush, mm-hmm. and they use it to brush their teeth. Mm-hmm. And in the process of doing that, they end up drinking the juice in the trees. You know, so it really protected their teeth to a to a way where even they can be hundred years and they still have their full teeth. These days, we use fluoride, pestilent, mm-hmm. and, you know, the dentists are making millions of us. So, yes, yes. Sometimes we, we think their ways look too old and odd, but they had a, a basic knowledge on why they were doing it compared to what we think is called advancement or technology. Mm-hmm. As we say here in the United in the States, there's a, there's a method to that madness. <laughs> there was there was yeah. a there was a reason behind that and 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 we have to uh it would be nice for us to learn and to embrace that and and stay in that particular uh you know still still work with that particular culture versus trying to get outside of that 
you know that's because that's, we learned all that from the europeans you know yes. they brought, we, yeah we we had to we 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 think they they bring in uh, um you know something better and we had to push our oh you know brushing with a chewing stick is too old that's too mm-hmm. traditional mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know these days everybody using brush and pestle Right. And that's the main reason why we're losing our teeth, you know, in, mm-hmm. in a way, when you're just 42, 50 years, you have to go to the dentist and all that stuff. But they had a reason, you mm-hmm. know, the, the forefathers had a reason why they decided to do it that way. Okay. Uh, speaking of dentists, um, you mentioned in one of the videos, uh, the, when you were, you were breaking down, I believe, Ghana and Gambia, in terms of, and, and I was surprised when you said that that Gambia actually spends more money uh, towards their healthcare system than than Ghana does, right? And I was like, wow, that's 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 interesting. So, what's it like uh, in the healthcare system there in Ghana? In Ghana, and well, in in, in Ghana, or if you know something about Gambia as well, let, uh, share that info. The, uh, um, the reason why it's I said that was simply because Gambia has a smaller population. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you compare to, you know, the, the percentage of investment the government spend compared to the population of Ghana, which means they're doing better in terms of, you know, investing in their health sector. Mm-hmm. But don't get it wrong. Ghana has a lot of uh, big health institutions, you know, in the country. But mm-hmm. when you when you compare the population you know, yes. to Gambia's population, then you realize, okay, Gambia is really trying in terms of, you know, health uh, issues as well. But Ghana is also really good on that side. But when you compare that two countries in terms of size, then Gambia is doing better. Okay, that makes sense, makes sense. All right. Um, anything in particular that, that you would want the uh, viewing audience to hear in reference to, um, what's available in, in Africa, um, the opportunities in Africa, business in, in Africa, because I know a lot of the, um, the Africans in the diaspora um, are coming with an idea of starting a business. And they're looking to, well, what kind of business can I start? And I know depending on where you are, that's, that's going to that's gonna differ, but the the mind of the African has always been about business, as you said when you when you were kids. You know, you 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 used to business and hustling and, and doing the things to, to make a profit. So, uh, so for for African and Africans in the diaspora coming over, the idea of, of being able to create a business or move into an area where they see business is needed uh, in that particular country, would you say that's something that's that's really huge, or is that kind of overstated as well well the whole the whole africa continent um no matter the country you are in or you decide to relocate to um there's there's tons of business opportunities out there simply because the continent is still under development we're still going going through what we call um uh, i forgot the word for it but um we're still going through a stage whereby everything has to be built based on businesses you know mm-hmm. that that type of industrialization mm-hmm. yeah um era where the u.s transition into mm-hmm. we are now approaching that side um so if you go there the best way to identify opportunities 
is pay attention to the problems out there because you know instead of complaining just pay attention to them and every problem that you see out there can actually be a business opportunity by simply finding uh, a, a solution to it and you know identifying the consumers that will benefit from that type of solution and mm-hmm. you can establish that type of business for them and you can take it from there and business is all about learning process you know you learn as you grow so you can start one business but as time goes on you've been in it for a year you learn to oh okay i think i should stop this and do this because this is really working you know for me you know Mm -hmm. and you can always learn and learn how to change switch and all that stuff so you know i think people should be ready to uh you know, accept all the opportunities that will come their way and give it a try. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know how big you can become unless you try something out there. So mm-hmm. um, that's, I was just trying to talk to one brother about, um, you know, how we don't have um, what we call, we don't have a platform where we can cater for um, people outside the continent when it comes to um, buying uh, something from Africa, you know. And when you look at, there's nothing new under the sun. When you look at the invention of um, Alibaba, it was the same problem with China. You know, China had a lot of manufacturers and producers and, you know, um, people who can create and make stuff. But the only problem that was, you know, going on was they didn't have consumers. They didn't have people who can actually uh, buy the product in mm-hmm. China and all the people who actually wanted to buy were out were from outside China. So mm-hmm. he created a platform to link people outside China to Chinese manufacturers. And that's how Alibaba came. The same way with Africa, we have a lot of people who make um basic uh stuff like authentic stuff. Mm-hmm. And you could see the demand is really high. People really have love for African product, but they don't know which platform should I go to buy, you know, and right now, if I ask you, you know, you want to buy some uh, shea butter from Africa, you say, yes, uh, where, where can you go to buy? You don't know, you know, you have to go search for it, look for, you know, a company or somebody selling shea butter online, mm-hmm. but we, sh- we need a platform, a global platform for, you know, African manufacturers and people who create to be able to, you know, put their product on there sell wholesale and that will create a very shift a very big shift when it comes to the manufacturing sector in africa because now people will focus on creating stuff because they have people who are interested in those products you know so mm-hmm. there's a tons of opportunities out there where you just can identify the problems and say wow they need this they okay need that. right you know? yeah mm-hmm. Well, y'all heard it from Daniel himself. You know, the opportunity is there for uh, all the products that that are being made in Africa that the world wants. Somebody needs to come in who has that type of expertise, create a platform, and bring Africa to the world. So that's an opportunity. Uh, Many times we look at things that here in America was fall. Come on, let's, let's just face it, what's fall? So we look at things uh, like they don't have this or they don't have that. But as you just said, if they don't have it, then create it. That's an opportunity for you to go in and create it. So I hear you, man, in terms of the, the, it's, the opportunity is just everywhere. Go there, see what the need is, and then create, create the need, right? Do you know why it's so hard to start 
a new business in the U.S. and thrive and become so huge? The, re the, 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 the simple reason is it's hard for you to identify a problem in the U.S. right now, yes. you know, to say, I want to find a solution and make it. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So w when you shift it to Africa, it's easy to identify a problem. And that makes, you know, uh, it look like there's tons of business opportunities out there, you know, uh, um, for people. But people don't see it that way. They like to complain about, oh, they don't have that. They don't have this, you know. We don't have a lot of recreational centers, you know, for people to go have fun and all this stuff. Somebody, an investor can just show up and say, I want to build, you know, basketball parks. I want to build, uh, 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 you know, recreational centers for people to go and play. And I'll just charge them a fee. You know, there are people who have the money that would love to go and enjoy that. They just don't have the avenue to go and enjoy it. So you like recreational stuff. Yo, I came to Ghana. I haven't seen a lot of recreational centers. Wow. Okay. I'm going to create one in Accra and see the outcome. You made one. You realize people were really utilizing it. Now you, you, you made income. You created another one at a different location, another one. And you mm -hmm. took over the recreational centers all over Ghana. You know, mm -hmm. so there are so many business opportunities out there. You just got to find the problems and that's it. Fix it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, man. Makes sense. You um, you can tell I've been watching your videos, man. You know what I'm saying? So you, you did a video in reference to three things that you need to do before you move to an African country. Come there, visit, First. check it out, go back home, get your stuff together, come back and stay for a year. So that way you really get an idea of if, whether this is for me or not. And I thought that was really, really sound advice. Um, speak to that, uh, if you will, for, for our audience. Yes. Um, so, you know, most of the times when people want to relocate or move, they, mm -hmm. they, they want to get all the answers, you know, online, you know, before they move. And right. that's not how it works. Everything is a learning process. And um, moving to Africa is, you know, an individual experience that you have to have yours to decide if this is for me or not. Because to be honest, not everybody will live there and feel comfortable because they are so used to, you know, the treatment in the, in the Western world. So there's no way everyone will move to Africa and still feel like they are comfortable being there, you know. So mm -hmm. that's why I suggest that you visit first. Visiting first is a must because it will just expose the whole um, country to you and, you know, you get to visit different parts and give you an idea of, okay, I think I would like to live at this part of Ghana or that part of Ghana. But you get that experience if you visit first. And then when you return back, you can basically put your funds together, decide and say, hey, let me go out there and live for a year, right? Mm -hmm. And actually experience how it is to be a Ghanaian or a Gambian, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, or a Kenyan or a Tanzanian. Mm -hmm. And living there for one year will actually help you build tons of connection because you basically know a lot of people. You understand the currency. You understand certain language terms and everything. You understand the way they trade. You understand um, how to get certain things done. I mean, living for one year will really give you a lot of experience, you know, mm -hmm. and then, after one year, you can finally cement your decision and say, wow, okay, now I know what to do when I come back again. You see what I'm saying? Or 
I think I have experience enough. I cannot be here. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense, man. Makes sense. Um, you know, a, a lot of our viewers want to hear uh, just just basic everyday stuff. You know, like like you know, just where can I go get a haircut? Or are there great barbers there? How much does a haircut cost? You know, those those types of simple things that that are part of part of life. Uh, don't get talked about enough, you know what I'm saying? We talk about all the all the, the bigger things, so to speak. Thanks. But uh, yeah, just everyday living, you know, people need to know uh, what it's like, uh, you know, in Africa as well. You know, like I say, just 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 going to the barber man and, and get a get a good haircut. So how what's what's the barbershop experience like there in, in, in Ghana? Well, okay, I I'll basically put it in, in, in a different way. Uh, so let's say if I was in Ghana, right, mm -hmm. um, maybe you wake up in the morning, you know, around like eight o'clock, you wake up, uh, let's say you don't have anything much to do um, that specific day, you wake up. Um, the first thing we like to do is, you know, go buy some food, you know, and <laughs> in, in, in Africa, in Ghana, food is really convenient, you know, it's, it's, it's like, hundred feet away from you or less than that, you know? So there are so many food joint in, uh, in, 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 in the community you live in. Okay. So you wake up and we don't like to drink like teas and all those coffee. We don't have that over there. We okay. don't like to do that. We like our food to be heavy, even in the morning. So, <laughs> you know, you can get like wache, you can get jollof, you know, people love to have those food in the morning. So. We wake up, we walk down the street, you know, we buy some wache, um, some wache with some, you know, sauce and fish. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can spend about maybe $5 for that or less than that. $5 is a lot, you know, mm -hmm. but you can spend like $2 for that. And then, you know, you come back home, you eat, and then, you know, maybe you can relax. You have some friends to go to, or you want to go to the barbershop down the street. You can walk and you, you know, you go sit down at the barbershop, you talk to all your friends, you all have some fun. So for the whole day, it could be talking about politics, um, football games, talking about, you know, no more things happening in the country. And then, you know, it's, it's just like a more like a community and a family based system, you know, mm -hmm. and everybody knows you while you're walking down the street. They'd be like, hey, man, what's up? Uh, what's going on? Oh, I'm good. I'm just walking down the street to get some food. I'll be back. It's more like a community-based thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, um, um, you mentioned the fact, you know, here in America, man, it's 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 nothing to jump in your car, and you know, cars are are like God here in America. Everybody's got to have a sharp car, expensive car, fancy car. You know, if you ain't got a car, man, it's like you you know you. You, you've been treated bad or something, you know? And in a lot of situations, we need a car, right? But it seems there, uh, and, and let me finish, my point was that, you know, it's, it's easy to jump in your car and maybe drive 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just to go visit a friend or just go to a restaurant on the other side of town, you know? Mm -hmm. but it, seems, it seems like that is, uh, that's not an everyday part of uh, African life in terms of folks just jumping in the cars and going here, there, and the other. And I'm sure, I mean, I've seen cars there all the time, uh, but that's not a, that's not a big thing to do is just drive around, right? And am, am I, am I assessing that right? Yeah, uh, I mean, 
uh, getting vehicles in Ghana, you got to pay upfront. So it's a different system. If you mm -hmm. wanted to buy a Toyota you, and it's $50,000, you got to have 50 grand to buy it. So most, mm -hmm. of the most of the people you see riding in the vehicles paid from cash for, for mm -hmm. every vehicle they drive. You okay. know, so it's pay as you go. You get, you get what you get if you have the money to pay for it. There's mm -hmm. nothing like we can, we can lease the vehicle to you or we can let you finance it for seven years. So that really limits people who don't have money to get vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing is there's a lot of public transportation that runs, you know, every, like a minute, every minute. You can easily get taxis. You can easily get public transportation, what we call trotro in Ghana. It's mm -hmm. easy and it doesn't cost that much, like less than 50 cents. You can, you know, mm -hmm. move from one point to another point. So, mm -hmm. therefore, people don't really stress about getting a vehicle if they don't have the money to. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, what's the, um, the beach life? Everybody, you know, you, you, you go on YouTube, you're going to see the beach. I don't care what, what country they take you to. They're going to show the beach, right? And uh, so, what's, what's, the, what's the gorgeous beaches like in, 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 in your part of the world, man? Hold on for a second. I got to get something. Hold on for okay. a second. Sure thing. Some of their brothers having some technical issues or some type of issues at the house, but he's going to be back momentarily. So this is great, man. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm back. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful, man. Um, yeah. So what's, what's your favorite beach there, man? Um, I, I really, I really don't go to the beach. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Um, but um in ghana uh, let me see <laughs> because i really don't like you know swimming okay. it's not my thing okay. you know so i really cannot tell about but there are so many amazing you know beach in ghana but you know we have the um Kokorobite beach we have the bojo beach we have the um independence beach um we have um uh, Anamabu Beach. There are so many beaches in Ghana, but I personally don't like going to the beach. You know, okay. I personally don't. I don't know why, but I just don't. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it is what it is. Okay. Yeah. Man, we, we've covered a lot of ground, man. We talked about a lot of stuff, man. It's been very informative. Um, before we close out, what would you say to the Africans in the diaspora who are even thinking about coming to Africa? Um, what, what type of uh, words of encouragement would you give them? Well, um, my last words would be, if you are interested in moving to um, Africa, you know, don't let nothing stop you. Life is all about experiences. You never know what's really out there for you. 
And I think you don't lose nothing if you go out there to experience it for yourself, you know, because I mm -hmm. think we all need to get different type of experiences and we have the resources to do so. Mm -hmm. Back in the days, the forefathers wanted to return back home and they couldn't get access to do it. But mm -hmm. now you can with just a flight to get back, you know, and you can actually get that experience and go out there, try it, examine the continent. If you love it, you stay. If you don't, you come back, so, you know, so don't let nothing really scare you or limit you from doing what you feel like you wanted to actually do. If you have that kind of feeling within you to go out there, just go experience it. If you love it, you find your purpose. If you don't, you just come back home because at the end of the day, you don't lose anything apart from time and money. And the reason why you don't lose time, but only money is you got the experience and that's what time is for. But with money, it can always be made, you know? So it, 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 there's nothing to lose if you go out there and experience. So don't let nothing stop you. Don't let nobody's review, nobody's bad uh, um, review stop you from going. Go there and experience it yourself because everybody's different, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody will go to Gambia and they'll have a horrible treatment or they'll face some bad, you know, challenges, just like even in your own family, not everybody succeed, not everybody, you know, do something and get results, but you did it and you are different. So go out there, you are different. Don't take nobody's word to be final. Go and experience it yourself. And if you love it, trust me, I know you love it, but if you don't, you can always come back home. Beautiful, man. I love it. I love it, man. Now, so for the benefit of our viewing audience, man, what's the name of your, your, your travel agency? It's Amanda Nitos Africa. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can basically go on the, on the website. Um, we go to Egypt, Tanzania, and Ghana, and we're trying to add Gambia because people are more interested in Gambia right now. And um, what we do is the, the main purpose of establishing the company was to help the average African diaspora who cannot just spend like five grand mm -hmm. to travel, you know, so we decided to make it really um, flexible in terms of payment. Mm -hmm. So we plan all the group trips ahead of time, mm -hmm. like maybe a year. Let's say we have a trip to Ghana. We plan it this year, but the trip will be happening in 2021. Mm -hmm. That way the cost can be, you know, broken down into maybe monthly payments, somewhere like $189. Mm -hmm. And people keep paying. By the time the date comes up, they've already, you know, paid for everything and they just mm -hmm. travel. But mm -hmm. if you want to travel based on your own time and schedule, we also have a, a different services where you can plan your own trip and also we can take care of it for you. So that's that's the main purpose of, you know, why we established that company because people wanted to travel, but it was expensive. And I did a research about, the travel companies that actually facilitate trip to Africa mm -hmm. and most are owned by, you know, Swedish, Australians, you know, mm -hmm. British companies, even though you see the African name, you see the African people, they actually yeah. don't own it. The company is for the Europeans, but they let them run it. So you don't, you don't feel like it's, Oh, it's a white man's company, but they, they, the payment goes through them and they pay, that people mm -hmm. over there. So I realized, oh, wow, that's crazy. That's why the prices are really expensive, you know? Mm -hmm. So we came out with that just to make it really affordable um, for people to travel. So just with 1600 excluding your flight, you can spend 10 days in Ghana. 
Okay. Wow. Wow, man. That's yeah. awesome, man. That's awesome. So, so again, the listening audience, you, you there's, there's another opportunity. We need more black on travel, black owned, black staff, black everything, 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 travel com companies. Yeah. Servicing Africa. Right. Yeah, yeah man. So now, um, Send our listeners to your uh, YouTube channel as well. What's what's your YouTube channel? Oh, my YouTube channel is Daniel Bodu's office. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's just Daniel to be the first name and the Bodu is B-O-A-D-U. And then the word office, you can just find me on there. And also what we realized is um, doing the trips. Uh, that's something that just came to me. Doing the trips, when we go to the northern part of Ghana, we realized um, most of the villages needs a lot of um, attention in terms of education and, you know, boreholes. And we realize it's a major issue because they have a savanna line. Therefore, water is a bigger issue over there. Mm -hmm. And the kids don't go to school because uh, from where the villages are to the, the city where most of the schools are, it's really far, like three hours to four hours drive. Mm -hmm. Therefore, mm -hmm. most of the kids growing up there don't go to school. And Africa is basically coming up with the youngest population in the whole world. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. if we can try, we need to get more people going to school, getting educated, you mm -hmm. know, knowing how to read and write and all that stuff. So we thought about, you know, maybe coming up with, you know, a program to, you know, help build little, you know, tiny schools to be able to help. But that's that's the what we're trying to do as a company to be able to help as well mm -hmm. you know so okay yeah, that's something i just remember yeah okay that's that's a beautiful thing man beautiful thing again more opportunity uh for africans in the diaspora to bring their educational skills teaching skills coaching skills uh to help our, our young brothers and sisters read write right arithmetic the basics Okay, and so again, we we are, we're so spoiled. We, we it's inconceivable for us to think about not going to school, right? Right. But this is a big issue on the continent, and so again, it represents opportunity for us. And and in, in a sense, it's our responsibility to come and offer, to come and give what God has given us, because what what He's given us, it ain't for us. Do we got to share it? Right, and I was gonna I was gonna close this thing out, man. But I gotta um, I gotta touch on this particular point, man, because you 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 said something that really struck me because I've never heard it said like this. You said that it's not the responsibility of the Africans in the diaspora to come and build Africa. Now, yeah, it's not. It's not their responsibility. I loved, I loved your particular point of view in terms of uh, expressing that and 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 your reason why. But just let me interject this right here, and then I'm gonna let you let you respond. Uh, I agree with you 50. percent The other 50, percent I'm gonna have to say it is our responsibility because guess what? I'm African too, right? And so it's not gonna happen by itself. We need everybody to play the game. But your point, though, is, is beautiful. Because guess what? You said, hey, the Africans in the diaspora has been over there 400 years suffering 
So we want them to come help us build. <laughs> you they know, have, they, I, I they got their own. They, yeah, they got their own struggle. Um, they dealt with. Um, I think, and, and and like I said, that's 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 just being um, real with what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. I understand the the Ghana government giving the opportunity for you know the African diaspora to come back and all that stuff. But when it comes to uh, you know the real Africans who were born and raised on the continent, but then moved out to like Europe, the U.S. and other stuff. You know, when it comes to going back home and invest, you know, they still have a, you know, I don't know how their mindset got changed, but it seems they don't have much interest in, you know, building, mm -hmm. you know, back home. But they are quick to say, hey, you know what, now nah, I don't want to go home because this, that, or that stuff. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But it is our responsibility to build it. Not nobody will, will basically do it the way we want it to to do, you know, to happen. So mm -hmm. I think we working together will make it easy. But you know, for us preaching the message, come back home, invest, mm -hmm. it doesn't sound right. Mm -hmm. okay. You see what I'm saying? We can yeah. say, yeah, you can come back home. We can put it this way. Yeah, you can come back home. There's a lot of opportunities out here for you to invest mm -hmm. all that stuff. But when we put it this way, come back home. And invest. It sounds like an instruction and an order. You okay. see what I'm saying? And yes. that 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 shouldn't be a responsibility for the uh, you know the African diaspora to come back home and you know build a country. It's our responsibility. But then if two partnerships come together, it makes it more easier. You see what I'm mm -hmm. saying? So that was my whole point. Mm -hmm. You know, we can we can do it. You know, yes. and if we get the help, it makes it more easier. I love that point of view, man. I love that point of view. And so since you explained it like that, I guess I agree with you 100% then. Yeah, you know, because you know how people put it, you know, come back home and, and, and invest, you know, and sometimes when I see people making that video, my my first question is, okay, what what are you doing? Like, you know, are you investing too or you just want to make a video about it? You know, it's, it's, it's two right. ways, you know. Mm -hmm we have to actually invest ourselves and and it's beyond building houses and apartments for rich people to come live in you know mm -hmm. it has to start from the grassroots that's why you know when when i started the trip and i went to the northern side you know everything aligns for a reason you know because i don't know why i chose to go that far that's why i could do it the easy way but mm -hmm. then i realized you know they need help you know in terms of education and other stuff and that's something I really want to touch on as time goes on and try as much as I can to make sure we put, we put the kids out there through school, you know, and if we can get 20 kids from those villages to become, you know, somebody like a doctor, they will end up, you know, giving back to the community in a long way. You see what I'm saying? So that's like a, a different type of investment that goes beyond money. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's that's what I'm 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 talking about. Okay. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. I love it. Man, it's been super. It's been great. Um, I love the connection that we have. And uh I want you to uh be on the show uh often. Do you have a YouTube channel? I, I do not at this point. Um I'm gonna create one just centered around 
uh, sharing my podcast videos uh, there. Uh, and, and maybe do a little little something on YouTube itself, but right now that's that's not the focus. But I'm sure it, it's it's going to grow into that. Um, so right now I'm I'm just podcasting and, and and building that up. And really, I got into podcasting because COVID kind of shut me down in terms of uh, I was just getting ready to launch a, my speaking business, a speaking and consulting business. But when COVID hit, you know, ain't nobody hiring speakers now, man. You can't travel nowhere. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> right. Ain't nobody hiring speakers. So I said, man, I got to do something, you know, to, to stay active, to stay relevant. And since my goal is to live in Africa six months out of the year and you live in the United States six months out of the year, I said, hey, you know, let me let me get into this conversation. I see that the the conversation is is uh, powerful right now in terms of going back home to Africa. And so I felt like, well, I have something to offer in this particular space. Let me just create a podcast where we can have conversation. You know, it's not about me. It's just about bringing people like yourself on and having conversation that we can inform and educate the viewing audience to, to what's really going on. Because the, the, the goal is to, we know everybody ain't moving back to Africa. We, we, we know yeah. that. But as many people as we can inspire and motivate to do that, that's what we want to do, right? Right. Uh, and so that's that's what this particular move, movement is about, man. So um, I commend you for 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 doing what you do. I commend you for being in the space that you're in, uh, and, and I'm very honored that you you uh, took the time out of your busy schedule to to be on the show. And we're gonna have you back again. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna close this out. This has been uh, Jamal Ali. Okay. In diaspora, going home show with our special guest Daniel. Now, Daniel, uh, don't go anywhere. I'm going to start recording, and then you and I have a conversation after this. Okay. All right. All right.